Hello there, and welcome to Brainwaves, bringing you the best in board game and tabletop gaming news. My name is Jamie Adams. And I'm Ian McAllister, and we're back from a bit of a sabbatical, and joining us this week is a man, a man of Kent, <laughs> a man who has flown to the moon, has moved on to spaceships both horrible and destructive. It is Glenn Ford from Man of Kent Games. How are you doing, Glenn? I'm doing good, thank you. Uh, glad to be here. How's the Kickstarter going? Uh, rolling along decently. Uh, we're just about 60% at the moment, so looking to to, to hit the fund at a, a decent timing. Uh, so yeah, pretty happy with that. Excellent. Tell us a little bit about Manicant Games and your previous games and what you've got going on Kickstarter right now. Okay. Got into this actually from uh, working on Gaslands. The uh, the Osprey oh, yeah. Blue Book got in on being lead developer on that off of the usual sort of playtesting and then just writing more and more and more and stuff stuff for it. From doing conventions, getting to know a few people through that route, I decided to put out a few of my own things. Last year, we launched uh, SSO on Kickstarter. That ran successfully. That's a one to six player survival horror sci-fi game. And then we've just launched uh, Moonflight, the deck unbuilder on Kickstarter. Went up on the 18th of September, uh, runs the 18th of October. So it's a one to four player game. It starts off as a fairly standard deck builder. And then basically when the marketplace empties, instead of the game ending, all the cards pivot through 180 degrees and unlock card trashing abilities. The game ends when one player has no discard or draw deck and you only score what's in your hand at the end of the game. So if you build your deck elegantly and trash it efficiently, you'll catch the other person with non-scoring cards. So Cool. And uh, we've just had the hardback for Gaslands released this month, last week, actually. Next big thing I guess we've got going on is next summer, A Billion Suns coming out from Osprey. Deep Space uh, Fleet Battle Game. Ooh. which is a very very high sci-fi quite high concept so start the game you've got no set army lists no set fleets you've got empty tables more than one usually that'll have like asteroids facilities things like that you can have any ship you want available in your fleet you can have a battleship you can have a recon ship everything you jump in you pay for and then if you can mine asteroids destroy facilities etc to earn that price back then you can cool. win the game. Uh, so, that sounds interesting. Yeah, it, play, it plays across multiple tables. So you'll have like a ship on one table or mine an asteroid, go for a jump gate, come out on a separate table in order to <laughs> then, then sit on a on an objective like a facility over on the other table. It's if Gaslands is is the part of your ten year old self that wanted rules for their Hot Wheels cars. A billion suns is the thing where when you're a kid. The sofa was Alpha Century and the table was Sol and you want to be able to go, right, I'm going from this jump to that jump and I'm going to do something and there's going to be rules and I'm going to know why it's happening and what the story is. Then hopefully that'll be a thing that will interest uh, interest people coming out there then. Well, thanks very much for joining us on the cast. Uh, let's get going. These are the headlines for the week of the 30th of September 2019. Kickstarter is in the firing line. Cool Mini or Not goes back to the past. And Fantasy Flight Games looks to the future. All this and more on this brand spanking new episode of Brainwaves. 
It is a brand spanking new episode. <laughs> yeah, so Kickstarter has been in trouble, but this time it's not through a failed Kickstarter or fraud or any of the other things we have previously covered on this cast. Kickstarter itself as an organisation has been drawing some fire in the in the last few weeks as it has let go two employees, Taylor Moore and Clarissa Redwine, allegedly for performance-related issues. However, both of these employees were heavily involved in unionization efforts from earlier in the year, and a lot of accusations have been thrown at Kickstarter that this is the real reason that they fired both of these employees. Uh, a severance package offered to Clarissa included a non-disparagement clause, and she'd already started talking about what happened, the unionization efforts that she had been engaged with, and the Office of Professional Employees International Union, which is the, the union that Kickstarter trying to the Kickstarter employees are trying to form is backing her 100%. The organizers of this are currently urging people not to boycott Kickstarter. They want to sort of keep their powder dry at the moment for that. And in an interesting turn for the our hobby, uh, Evil Hat, who are a publisher of a lot of role-playing games like Fate, uh, a personal favorite of mine, Blades in the Dark, and various other projects, they suspended their Kickstarter that they were just about to launch for Aegon, which is a very well-regarded indie RPG about Greek legends from John Harper, who wrote Blades in the Dark. At the time of recording, Evil Hat have just come back onto Twitter and said that they are going to be going ahead with the Aegon Kickstarter with a caveat that if the management move against a union being formed or that the organisers of the union want to boycott Kickstarter, they will pull the campaign no matter what stage of funding it is at. And there's a uh, quote I just want to read from Evil Hat's second statement. The true power of Kickstarter is realised when collective action comes together to create something greater than any one individual can achieve. If you're reading this and would like to voice your support for the organising employees at Kickstarter, we encourage you to sign this petition. If you're a creator on Kickstarter, this petition would be a good one to sign as well. We've signed both. At its core, Kickstarter is a platform fueled by hope, optimism and excitement. We're excited to launch Aegon this week. We are optimistic that unionization—that's un, still a hard word to say. We are optimistic. We are optimistic that unionization efforts at Kickstarter will succeed, and we hope that management is listening to our concerns and doing the right thing. Now, Kickstarter is not the only sort of tech-based company that's been having problems with unionization in the last few years. There's a good few sort of big tech companies in the states that have been having issues around unions and the formation thereof. What do you guys think about all this? I think one of the things is that in the States, they seem to have a different set of opinions to unions and unionization than than we do in the in the uk i mean one of the things is i think a, a lot of the of the current hobby resurgence that we're seeing is fueled by manufacturing in china yeah. um and you know I think there is a certain amount of trying to judge companies and judge situations by the 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 local the local standards. It's an international hobby. We're in, you know, it's an international business. It's you know, it's it's tough to be possibly turning against Kickstarter when you know I I'm not sure that their behaviour is that outside of the norm for American companies. Yeah, when. You know, people on Kickstarter are all then printing with Chinese companies who I don't know, and you don't want to generalize, but I'm imagining they've got slightly iffier sort of behaviors within their companies than Kickstarter have within theirs. So it, I don't know. I, I I don't want to say it's a sort of a Western problem, but it feels a bit sort of you know if if they're if they're sticking to the the agreed 
laws and guidelines within their country. I'm not going to judge them for not doing better than the accepted guidelines in their country, so long as they're not doing worse. If it, do- if it turns out there's no legal question to answer, if it turns out that, you know, and we don't know where this is this is going to go yet, if, if it turns out they've abided by their local rules, and I think I have to say, okay, I mean, I wouldn't be happy about it if, it, if it were happening in the UK, but uh, I feel like we have different protections for those sorts of those sorts of actions. Yeah, we do, and uh, certainly the severance package that was offered to Clarissa sounds quite dodgy in the fact that it was mm. trying to sort of say, okay, you can't say bad things about us. They obviously knew something like this was happening. Mm. This is still a developing story at this time, and we will no doubt be coming back to this one in a future cast. Thank you, Ian. Cool Mini or Not, the company that, well, generally makes waves on Kickstarter when they announce... Uh, a new project that's coming up, has announced they're going back to Kickstarter, but with some old games. In a post on the company's website entitled Back to the Past, Comedy or Not has announced they are going to be reanimating, I guess is the base, best word I can think of, um, several Kickstarters that have succeeded previously. Uh, the most notable ones being Rising Sun, Hate, and Zombicide Green Horde to take advantage of the addition of new benefits and and perks, which include things like digital art books and tailored soundtracks. Now, this is going to be only on for a, a short stretch of time, as Kumi or not say, our R&D team tell us it wouldn't be realistically feasible to give everyone a time machine to come back with us individually. So what we're doing is running a new campaign that will bring these items into the present, as well as give everyone an opportunity to jump back in as though they'd gone through time with us. Now, Ian, I know you've got some strong thoughts on this. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't seem like Simon really need to do this in any way. Or, sorry, come on, or whatever they're not, they want to be called, I don't know. It doesn't really seem like they need to do this. I mean, I know like big Kickstarters are generally a decent thing for Kickstarter. It means that littler ones get seen as well. Mm. But, like, it just feels like they're just getting money for a print run. Hmm. Like, just, we, we need to do another print run. Yeah. And that makes me wonder about what Simon's finances are like a little bit. Makes you wonder what's behind this decision. Hmm. I mean, it's free money for them. Yeah. They'll, they'll go gangbusters again, I would think. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it's a tricky one, I think, for all the sort of the little independent kickstart. You know, it's like I'm sort of... I, I'm struggling on my 60% point as, as I'm in the mid-season yeah. slump. And I know that obviously anything that Simon do is going to, you know, have crushing insane levels of money coming into it. Yeah. In the end, for the smaller uh, Kickstarter producers, you, you, so you say you have to see it as they're going to bring a crowd into Kickstarter. They're going to bring a lot sure. of people. And some of that is going to splash over you know, mm. onto the smaller independents. And, you know, I mean, the thing is, if Simon don't need to do this, if they can just go straight to a store, that's not benefit. That's not benefiting anybody on Kickstarter. So, mm, yeah, it's a fair point. There is a way of seeing it as, in a weird way, this is almost them giving something back. <laughs> that's <an interesting laughs> I mean, you know, if they're saying, look, we, we totally could launch this in a store, we would have retailers queuing up for it. Mm. If we go back to Kickstarter, we bring an extra 10,000 people to Kickstarter that day. You know, how is that not beneficial to all the little, yeah. the little indies, the little, the little bobs there that only want five grand for their, for their little card game? You know, yeah. uh, you can, you can, you know, I try, it's going to happen anyway. So I'm try. I try to see the, the upside to it. <laughs> That's a perfectly reasonable stance to take. 
Yeah. Fancy Flight Games have presented what I think is the first of a, a series of interviews from from some of the, the higher-ups behind the scenes talking about the future aims of the company, making some statements on where they're planning on going with some of their lines. I think the the seems to be the central point to it is this idea that they're not going to bring out games and then continue to put out expansion after expansion after expansion until finally the game sort of collapses under the weight of it or just runs its course. I think intending to set up lines with a beginning, a middle, and an end point and, uh, and trying to plan more of an an overarching rollout of, of various products. I think the idea is that if you want to pick up something like Arkham Horror Living Card Game now, um, rather than looking at a 30, 40 pound entry fee, you're looking at 200 pounds with no understandable mm. endpoint in sight. You'll be. I, you, sometimes you pick up a, a fancy flight game and you feel like you're kind of on the leash for every time they feel like <laughs> picking up an extra bit of cash off you they just they pull the line and you you troop into the friendly local gaming store and you you have to pick up the next expansion so i think if they can make it work i think if they can actually stick to because i assume that even with the shortened runs these are going to be two three four year rollout programs if they can if they can work it through if they can plan it out if they can uh, understand where a line is going to go to that degree and one would hope they can they are a sizable company at this point yeah i i think it'll i think it'll benefit i think that you know bloated is a harsh word but they they yeah. have had some lines go bigger than was necessarily beneficial to the line with expansions with with uh more and more pieces to to games that not necessarily were supporting all of that weight. So it's, I think they're, they're big enough at this point. I think the idea that they can plan for the future and and make things tie back into themselves, fingers crossed, you know, they'll do it well and it'll just it'll make the lines that much better and that much more interesting. Yeah, it's interesting to see them jumping on the sort of same line that Aldrich Entertainment Group and I was listening to a podcast with the guys who do Shards Infinity and Ascension recently. And they were mm-hmm. saying that Shards Infinity was designed to be a self-contained thing. So rather, mm. unlike Ascension, which has been going for a long time, like 10 years, something like that, Ascension, Shards Infinity had a very definite expansion plan from the start. And then once they get to the end of it, they're done. And it's a complete mm. product. It's 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 finished. And Aldrich Entertainment Group, we, we reported on earlier in the year, they are just putting out fewer products and supporting mm. them harder. And I, I think that's the way a lot of companies are going starting to go starting to go they're seeing the glut of games they're seeing how many releases are coming out and they are yeah they're trying to sort of tamper Mm. down their expectations for each individual product and trying to produce less but better stuff put their Mm, weight put their weight behind each one a bit more um it was an ama with um the head of studio andrew navarro i believe uh that this came up and it was also he commented on um a number of things saying for example that Star Wars Imperial Assault is now come to an end, as it were. It He couldn't say much. He said business reasons, which is fair enough. Eldritch Horror is another one where they've kind of gone, we've released everything. Very similar to the Game of Thrones, the card game. It's slowly winding down because, according to them, they've pretty much reached the limits of George R. R. Martin's writing so far. So they, they can't really do any more. And on a similar vein, uh, the Lord of the Rings card game. 
has announced or they announced the Lord of the Rings card game is going to take a break in 2020. Yeah. Instead of saying 2020, I don't know why I said 2020. It's an odd one. Um, <laughs> and it's going to return at a later date, although it's not going to return as a second edition. So what it's going to reappear as, uh, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, it's well hmm. worth reading that interview. There's a couple of other interesting tidbits about the way they think about competitive LCGs as well especially with the upcoming Marvel one. They're talking about the different release ways they're releasing, how different models fit different card games. So yeah, worth giving a read. And there's, yeah, like I say, there's a, there's a lot of businesses now sort of looking at, a, sort of releasing a less but better, which is, I yeah. think, good. And now, on with the news. So we've got a slightly lighter story here. Um, not that we don't have nothing but heavy stories but you know what i mean there was a video posted recently to that grand video website youtube trivium games posted a video to youtube showing the results of one of their lorries in atlanta georgia taking a corner a little too sharply with the result that three pallets worth of chessex dice all d6s by the way spilled out onto the interstate 216,000 dice were spilled, and in case you're wondering, yes, somebody has run the numbers on this. The estimated total of all the dice rolled is roughly in the area of 756,000, which I think is more than enough to pass almost any save you can think of. (laughs) Yeah. What's what's less funny, though, is the $10,000 cost of the lost dice. Mm. Well, hopefully they're not totally damaged. Maybe they can give them to like gaming groups or need them or something like that. We'll mm. see. There is the video shows people literally shoveling dice. <laughs> That's a weird thing. Like, was were there a bunch of gamers falling in the truck? I f- I sense conspiracy. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> honestly, I honestly accident. don't know. <laughs> yes, but apparently the final D six that was picked up off the the interstate was a natural six because of course it is. A little story that's come across our desk just today off from ICB2, a site we do recommend for checking out the latest nerdy news, especially the industry news, is that Wizards of the Coast publishers of Dungeons and Dragons and Magic the Gathering are pushing stores who are part of their Wizards Play Network, which is their organized play network, to become premium stores a bit more. That means they'll get more more stuff, they'll get more um, advertising through Wizards and various sort of support from Wizards of the Coast. Now, they are offering grants to improve stores to help with this. Those grants will go towards anything from just a a lick of paint on the walls to new tables, chairs, that kind of thing. The grants will fund half the cost of improvements. And interesting, one of the reasons I picked up this article was that an interesting aside from it is that they talk a little bit about how stores are monetizing RPGs especially. And, of course, there's always the sort of pay-to-play, the sort of like, if you want to join this table, you need to pay a bit of money. That's fine. I've got no problem with that. But the one I did pick up on, and one that was making Jamie a little bit angry before the start of the cast, <laughs> was that some stores are apparently using uh, vending machines um, to give out bonuses to dice and health pools. Uh, I'll quote from the article. Other stores with successful pay-to-play programs further monetize the sessions by stocking gumball-style machines with plastic capsules containing in-game bonuses, such as a plus one to hit, a potion of healing, or a certificate giving the player a rare pet. 
Sometimes these machines clear $50 to $200 per day with obviously huge profit margins because it costs effectively nothing to produce this stuff once you've got the actual machine and the gumballs. Now, if you're not familiar with the term microtransactions... Boo. Microtransactions are effectively a thing that mostly exists in computer games where um, th- games like Fortnite, Call of Duty, games like that all mm-hmm. have basically stores where you can go and buy in-game cosmetic and sometimes um, actually game improving modifications with real mm-hmm. world money. And this feels a little bit like that to me for tabletop RPGs. Opinions, gents? Glenn, uh, go ahead with this. <laughs> Glenn, please go ahead with this because I am... Jamie's got his angry eyes on. <laughs> I did, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, worrying would be a generous way to phrase it. I, it, it, it as, as I said earlier before the recording, you mentioned this, and the first thing that popped into my head, which I said was, you know, if a store is struggling a little bit, if it's having a bad day, if the store owner sort of sidles over to a DM and says, you know, can you just up the level of that ogre? Just, can just you, put a dragon in. Put a dragon in. Can you just, yeah, can you just tie, can you make this, this particular session a little bit tricky? You yeah. know, we, we need to, we need to push for an extra sort of $50 to cover the, uh, <laughs> you know, to, to, to cover the margins tonight. I would, uh, I would hope at the very least. <laughs> no, I would like to say this. I'd hope nobody is that bad. <laughs> I, I absolutely hope nobody is that but bad. But it, it would you make know. you think, wouldn't it, when you're at the table and it's like particularly tricky, and you're like, and then the vending machine is just there. It's like, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, you have to wonder if a certain store you know is popular you have trouble getting a space in it as a DM. You know, if your sessions pay off the store a little bit better than somebody else's sessions is that going to alter how likely you are to be offered that seat next week it introduces a whole sort of weird meta into like who gets (laughs) rpg space assigned and all sorts of things it is it is a little bit disturbing yeah i i (laughs) we'll we'll keep an eye on that we'll keep an eye on this one folks and we'll report back if other stores i've never heard of a store in the uk doing this but yeah who knows it might come here over here and then we'll come back to this article maybe with a bit of a brainstorm at some point (laughs) Jamie, what you got? Quite a few podcasts ago, we brought up the situation with Space Goat Productions and their failed Kickstarter for the Evil Dead 2 board game. And it left a lot of people very unhappy, a lot of people out of pocket, then the Mm -hmm. company folded and actually were able to come back to this with some good news. And that good news is backers will be getting their copies of Evil Dead 2 the board game in about April 2020 with trade copies following sometime in the summer. The shipping of it is being done for free by a company called Jasco Games or Jasco Games. Yeah, that's the company that bought over the Evil Dead 2 stuff effectively when Space Goat collapsed. There we go. Yeah, great to see it come to happy conclusion. Yes, it's it's a, it's a nice little follow up. Yeah, no, it's it's a very fine thing that uh, Yasko Games have done there. Yeah, I very. can't help but feel like the, the 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 new Kickstarter from Yasko is backed with about a, a thousand and something backers, and the original Kickstarter from uh, from the first Evil Dead was six thousand odd. Yeah, I do. I, I, you know, and obviously Yasko have promised to fulfill for all of those six thousand previous backers if they ask for it. I can't help but sort of feel like. You know, if I if I got kickstarted back to like one thousand five hundred people, and then I had to fill for eight thousand people, yeah, you got to wonder where that money's coming from, don't you? 
you know, it's great that they're doing it, and it's a really beautiful thing to have stepped up, uh, stepped up, and uh, and made that offer. But um, yeah, there's you know six thousand odd copies that you don't have the money for. Hopefully, the community will you know will pay them off with that. So. Yeah, well, they're building a great reputation. Yasko said yeah. that the response from the original backers has been excellent. So, yeah, hopefully mm. it all works out okay. And, uh, yeah, we'll come back to it if something goes awry, no doubt. So, Glenn, if you follow me, uh, we'll head to the <laughs> comfy chairs of RPG Corner. There you go, sir. Uh, get, get your smoking jacket on. Uh, if you'd like to peruse our fine um, alcoholic beverages and help yourself to whatever you want. And uh, sit down in this big chair as we tell you stories of, of the RPG industry. And the first one, unfortunately, is of things going sideways once more in Kickstarter. This is a Kickstarter for a game called Kamigagari. I hope I'm pronouncing yeah. that correctly. This was a... Kami, Kamigakari. Kamigakari, I'm apparently corrected by the Jamie, who's better at this kind of thing than I am. Uh, this game is coming out from Serpent Sea Games, which is a translation of a Japanese game, Kamigakari God Hunters. There is an update on the 12th of September from Noel Sidal, Noel Sidal, who's the translator involved in the project, who accused Amy Viras, the lead of the studio, uh, of stealing a large amount of money from the project to basically move house. Uh, there was there were screen captures of Discord conversations where Amy basically admitted that there was no money left. Subsequent updates from Amy on that same day uh, said this was not the case and that money had been paid to people and printers as requested. Uh, some A lot of the people involved had sort of half the money up front, half on completion, that kind of contract. Unfortunately, Crack and Print, who were printing the game, have folded and um, Serpent Sea Games are currently trying to get the money back from that. But the very last update on the 12th of September, there were, there were about four or five updates in the same day refuting all this, all these allegations. In the last update, all, all of which happened on that day, Amy did admit to taking the leftover money from the project as hers. Hmm. So I'm not exactly sure what to believe. But basically, this is a note to all Kickstarter campaign runners, and I'm sure Glenn will back me up on this, is that transparency is really, really important. You need to be yeah. really clear with your backers where your money's going, how it's being distributed, who's being paid mm-hmm. what. That has got to be crystal clear because from the comments I've seen on the Kickstarter since then, a lot of the backers are really unhappy about the obfuscation that's been going on and are just as confused as everyone else is trying to make what they can of this mess. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the well, Kickstarter is about trust. It's about trust mm, between yeah. the backers and the creator. And we, without, in the end, people are giving you money for something that you don't have at the point where they're giving you yeah. the money. You know, they're trusting that you're going to go off and you're going to, you know, pay people and you're going to do what you're going to say you're going to do. And anything like this, I think, you know, it's an issue for the whole for the whole community. It's an issue for the whole yeah. whole site. You know, people there are there are a group of people for whom this fulfills exactly what they think Kickstarter is. This yeah. is exactly what they these these are the reasons they don't go on Kickstarter. This is exactly what they think every project is. And I mean, yeah, at the moment it seems like it's a reading the comments. It's a a group of different people with different opinions. 
all talking about what is or isn't going on and it's like you say there's a lack of transparency there's lack of clarity hopefully you know it's it's all it's a matter of misunderstanding rather than you know willful taking of you yeah. know somebody else's money um but yeah you need you need to be clear you need to be open you need to say where the money's going when it's going there you know at every point there's yeah, yeah. there's kind of no excuse for not you know not being clear and open at at every possible stage so margaret vice productions has been going for several years and was the studio behind the cortex system which is the the role playing system that ran several popular culture role-playing games, uh, Battlestar Galactica, Supernatural, and Serenity, to name just but a few, uh, with their Cortex Prime system uh, running the Firefly role-playing game. Now, now Margaret Vice Productions has run into a little bit of trouble recently, but the Cortex system has been acquired by Fandom, uh, the company who run D&D Beyond, the app which they acquired from Curse LLC. Now, Cam Banks, who was the lead designer on the Cortex system, has been brought on uh, to Fandom as the creative director. And Fandom has promised to fulfil all the items that that were promised to backers under the 2017 Kickstarter by Banks for the Cortex Prime Game Handbook, which I believe is some... Uh, handbook to make it much more of a generic role-playing system that you can tailor to your needs if you'd like it which does put fandom in the print industry now which is a little bit interesting thing but it's good to see good to see that uh, the system is not dying i mean it's the first one i gm'd um i think it's a solid wee system it has its faults but everything does finally or almost finally in our rpg corner i've got a new thing just in case we all run into problems now and again around the table of what sort of content we might have in our rpgs monty cook has released a consent guide for gms so this i've had a wee look at this today and it's basically a a sort of discussion about ways to tackle issues of consent regarding things like violence sexual content uh, controversial topics all sorts of things that uh, that might get people upset around the table because especially if we're playing one shots at cons rather than games Mm -hmm. with our friends we don't know the backstories of everyone around the table and it's an interesting way, uh, an interesting way to to talk about those subjects. So there's things like there's a checklist for players that they can fill out before a game to hand over to the GM if they don't want to talk openly about the things that might um, upset them uh, mm-hmm. within the within the game. So the GMs can tailor the game to those people. Uh, it's been causing a little bit of a stushy amongst the RPG community because, as you might expect, there's several grognars basically going, "But I don't need this. I've run my same game with my group for." 20 30 years whatever and that's fine those people don't need it but for some people this might uh, this might be a good way for them to discuss these sort of matters around the table and mm. tackle them as their first if it's their first time as being a gm yeah it's i think it's worth checking out it's completely free off yeah. Cook games site uh, you do need to sign up to their store to get it but it's completely free and yeah it's it seems really interesting it seems like a, an interesting thing to talk about it's a sort of thing mm. that doesn't get talked about enough i think amongst the rpg community it's yeah. good to see I, I would disagree slightly. I think it's becoming talked about a lot more. Yeah, yeah. In the wake mm. of in the wake of unfortunate allegations 
and incidents that have true. surfaced over the past year or two. Yeah, yeah. That, that's true. I mean, yeah, we are starting to talk about more, which I think is probably why Monty Cook decided now is the time to release something like this to sort of like maybe try and codify this stuff a little bit more in, in how we how we tackle it around the table because everyone tries to tackle it differently it's, and it's interesting to see it written down. I think it's something that can only, you know, again, it can only help the community. You know, ultimately you know the more diverse the you know the the hobby community it's not a wildly diverse no. group at the moment uh you know as as as, as three white guys around. Three, three white guys i was i was it. just <laughs> i was just about to say it's like three white guys yes it, it need to, diversity is very important yeah but i mean that this is the thing it's 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 easy for me to say within my you know gaming group who all people exactly like me that none of us need to worry about you know upsetting any of the rest of us but you know, I want other. I want people unlike me to be playing games with me. I want people, you know, from outside my group to be brought into it. And you know, it's it's not my place to say that this isn't necessary because it's you know just because it's not necessary for me. It's not you know is is not really the point. The point is to try and broaden this hobby out a teeny weeny bit away from the very very narrow demographic that it's that it's currently covering i'm talking about consent the chuck tingle rpg exists and if you don't know what that is then i'm gonna let you google that and um yeah you probably want to do that in an incognito browser oh dear and i think that i think i've sullied rpg corner enough so we should maybe maybe get out of here and finish this cast off Oh, it's the outro, and of course, it's Monopoly time for everyone. Yeah. We've got two, two, let's say, choice pieces of news today. They're very interesting, definitely. The first one is slightly lighter, and that involves uh, a Belgian version of Monopoly, or rather a Brussels version of Monopoly, that uh, is due to be released. But there's already been a bit of a furore over the box art. And that is, if you don't know, in Brussels, there is a little statue called the, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, so my apologies to any Belgians if you are listening, the Mannequin Piece, which is a statue of a small urinating boy. It is a world-famous piece of cultural history, and if you want to know the story about it, uh, look it up online. We don't have time, I'm afraid. Not at the same time as <laughs> now, the Chuck Dingle RPG, though. You don't, don't want to combine those <laughs> two the, things. Definitely not at the same time. Um, now, this statue... Funnily enough, is naked and was to be included in the pictorial form on the front of the Brussels Monopoly set. And Hasbro looked at it and they went, a naked small boy on the front of our box. No, thank you. So instead of him being naked, he's going to be draped in Brussels flag and iris motif boxer shorts and this has apparently angered uh, a number of belgian gamers including group 24 who is the company that's releasing the game under the hasbro license censorship gone mad jamie <laughs> yeah, i just i think has hasbro is a family company and monopoly is you know one of their premier premier lines and they just don't want willies on their box art. They've been putting which, out okay, so much weird Monopoly stuff recently. Uh, talking of which, after the sort of weird furor around in Monopoly so socialism, which was a very odd thing, and um, someone on Twitter did go through that game, and it was absolutely terrifyingly bad. 
Hasbro are putting out a game called Ms. Monopoly. Uh, now, this is Hasbro's, Hasbro's latest in a long line of games trying to shake up and change the central themes of Monopoly. So that we had the Millennium one, we had Socialism, we had Monopoly Deal, which apparently Jamie thinks is all right, actually. It, it, it is all right. You've just been reading the Monopoly news too much, mate. It's just gone to your head. <laughs> no, no. I, I, t- I tell you, right, okay, I'm going to appeal to Glenn here, right? <laughs> no, no, Glenn, you're not. Mono- I'm moving on. I'm moving on. Monopoly is a card game. No. It's not that bad. <laughs> Monster. So, Ms. Monopoly is, and I quote, the first game where women make more than men, and a celebration of women trailblazers starts all female players with $1,900 and collect $240 as they go past go, and males start with traditional $1,500 and $200 for passing go. Uh, that is the to do with the 20% pay gap. Okay, so rules otherwise are the same, but ads, don't worry, if men play their card right, they can make more money too. The game can just be played as normal Monopoly if desired. Properties and station utilities are all replaced by inventions from female pioneers, uh, but strangely misses out the fact that Monopoly was made by a woman and stolen by a man. Hmm. And uh, Ian, do you want me to do you want me to take this? And I would, uh, <laughs> I, I would really recommend the one of the recent uh, Dollop episodes. Dollop is an American history podcast where they cover what Monopoly originally was called, called the Landlord's Game and its history. Hmm. Uh, it was created by a woman called Elizabeth Maggie and then taken and claimed by Charles Darrow, who sold the idea to Parker Brothers, who rejected Maggie's original game, and mm. uh, became and he became the first board game designer to own, earn over a million dollars. And Maggie, meanwhile, had her patent eventually bought by Parker Brothers for 500 mm-hmm. Now, I have seen the advertising video for this thing, <laughs> and it made my eyes bleed. <laughs> it's really quite... I mean... They do a nice thing in it, which is that they give uh, several sort of young female um, uh, scientists and, uh, and women who are in STEM some money from the game. The same amount of money that's in the game, they give them an actual money to, to work on their projects. That's mm. cool. But the whole thing of like, ah, you're a female STEM scientist. Obviously, you want a game of Monopoly, which is vaguely sort of female related, <laughs> is great. And as many people have pointed out, like Monopoly is an equal game anyway because if you're a woman or a man playing the game you start with the same amount of money and that's fine yeah and the rules are constant and the same so and a boot and a race car are pretty non-gendered they're not gendered yeah it's just yeah it just feels like someone at hasbro has got a bean in their bonnet about (laughs) things like socialism and feminism and things like that and they're basically having a stab at it through releases Listen, you say this, but it gets us talking about them, and it gets headlines, and people talk about Monopoly. You've got a very good point. Yeah, yeah obviously that you know. I mean, the, the the saddest thing from as just as a game design point of view, if you give somebody an extra benefit at the start of a game, it's normally because they've proven themselves to be bad at the game and they desperately need some sort of assistance to get through it. Yeah, and fu- fundamentally going. Okay, in order to get a fair game of Monopoly, a balanced, reasonable game of Monopoly, all the girls need a need a leg up. It just seems so wildly misjudged. Yeah, it, it really is. I, you know, I mean, it, again, sh- again, as three white guys talk about <laughs> <laughs> talk about this. Yeah, I mean, if if it's about the twenty percent gender pay gap, then then just hang a hat on it and give the girl give the women less money at the start of the game. Because if you've got less money at the start of the game and then you win, you're brilliant. And then if you lose, of course you lost. So the person who starts with less money kind of can't lose. If you if you want to benefit them in a game of Monopoly, give them no money at the start. Then then they then they, they can't fail because you 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 win or of course you lost. Yeah, it, it's yeah, it's just a, <laughs> that's a very good point. 
It's just a weird thing, and I, I think we're going to see more odd. of this. I, I don't know who's got to be in their bonnet at Hasbro, but obviously somebody does. But it does make us talk about Monopoly, like Jamie said. Uh, before we go, we would like to give a little shout-out to all our patrons. Thank you so much for your support, and especially our executive producers, the Lucky Sparrow Gaming Cafe. Thank you very much, guys, for your continued patronage. By the time this cast goes out, we will have a new article up on the site talking about the history of the site and the cast, uh, where we are at the moment and where we're hoping to go. And we'll also be talking about new funding streams that we will be engaging with. Uh, we hope you find that interesting and you can chat to us about those things as uh, as, that, as that article comes out and as you ha- give it a read. There might be a couple of controversial things in there with things like Amazon affiliate links and that kind of thing, but we'll be talking about that kind of stuff in the article. Glenn, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Well, you know, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's been fun. So. Yeah, it's been a blast. Oh, you've <laughs> been absolutely fantastic. Thank you. Where can we and the lovely listeners find you and find out more about you? Uh, well, the website is www.manokentgames. M A N O K E N T G A M E S manakentgames.com uh, Moonflight is obviously currently up on Kickstarter yep. um, running until October 18th, that's Moonflight uh, yeah, uh, hopefully check us out on there, um, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook we're on every available platform that you know we can chat about what we're doing on, so yeah, look us up we're, we're always happy to chat so sure. um and oh, just a, I suppose, a little shout out. Uh, October twenty sixth in Oxford, there's a Gaslands uh, tournament going on that I'm going to be at. So if anybody's in in the area, it's being run by the Gaslands UK Facebook group. Uh, if any fans of the game want to pop along there, uh, yeah, that'd be brilliant as well. Amazing. Thank you very much. Thank you. All the links, as, as we've said in the podcast, all the links to our new stories and will be found in the show notes. And all that remains is for me to thank you very much for listening. If you like what you've listened to, the best way to help us out is to share the podcast and drop us a review and a rating on iTunes. Now, you can also follow us on Twitter at, at the Giant Brain. We're on Instagram, Giant Brain UK. Our Facebook is The Giant Brain. Our website is giantbrain.co.uk and if you'd like to contact us via email, we are at giantbrainuk at gmail.com Again, thank you very much for listening. See you later. <laughs>